Hello, and welcome to the Chest Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Dominique Pepper. Welcome to the Chester Journal Podcast. Uh, my name is Dominique Pepper. I'm the host of the Chess Podcast section. Today, we're very fortunate to discuss an article recently published in Chest uh, dealing with low tidal volume ventilation. Um, I'll ask our first author to introduce himself. Hello. Thank you for your generous invitation to discuss our paper and your podcast, Dr. Pepper. It is a pleasure to be here. My name is Dr. Romit Savanta. I'm an NAIHR NIHR Clinical Lecturer in Intensive Care Medicine at the Victor Philip Daedala Heart and Lung Research Institute in the University of Cambridge, which is in the United Kingdom. I am a board-certified physician in anesthesia and critical care medicine, and my primary interest lies in using data science to improve the care of critically unwell patients. An absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast with us. Today we'll be discussing your article, and it deals with low tidal volume ventilation. And this is one of those thorny issues because we in critical care have very little um, evidence-based practice, and this is one of them. And you decided to investigate it, and it appears that we're just not doing a good enough job. So maybe for our audience, you could explain to us why is low tidal volume ventilation so important in critical care? Yeah, sure. Um, so high, higher tidal volumes are associated with increasing stretch of the lung tissues, uh, which are already injured in conditions like acute respiratory death distress syndrome, ARDS, and this contributes to ventilator-induced lung injury. Now, we've known about this since the 1970s in animal models, uh, which showed that high tidal volumes caused a lot of injury to these lungs. But it was most it was demonstrated most emphatically in patients in the multicenter. Armour study. This was conducted by the ARDS research network, ARDSnet, and they published their findings in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2000. Now, the ARDSnet investigators showed that in patients with ARDS, aiming for tidal volumes less than six mils per kilo predicted body weight was associated with much improved patient survival at 30 days compared with patients who were receiving tidal volumes greater than 10 mils per kilo predicted body weight. This was a landmark study whose findings still endure to this day. And this kind of coined the term low tidal volume ventilation or lung protective ventilation. Uh, Since that study, uh, low tidal volume ventilation has been shown to benefit patients in other cohorts to generalise you patients with or without ARDS and patients undergoing emergency surgery for prolonged periods. So basically, low tidal volume ventilation is now the expected standard of care for patients who require invasive mechanical ventilation. So if it if we have evidence showing that it's so beneficial, why is it so difficult to set um, a tidal volume that is correct in the ICU? Uh, what factors do you think go into that? So there's the... the the, pr- the predicted body weight is often the barrier to this because that is determined by the height of the patient. And that information isn't always available. Often we only have the patient's weight. And then if we dial in six mils per kilo actual body weight, we um, 
end up overventilating our patient or overdistending their lungs because larger patients have the same size lungs for their height. And for that reason, um, mainly because of the cognitive possible load that is required of patient uh, of clinical staff uh, when they're ventilating patients, that they don't in, in, um, engage these low tidal volume methods. Also, some physicians want to insist on physiological normality and are a bit reluctant to tolerate lower tidal volumes, which may cause hypercapnia or hypercarbia in the patients. And all those, there has been shown that permissive hypercarbia is not harmful to patients. A lot of intensive care physicians are real stickers for detail and want to ensure that normal physiology is maintained for as much time as possible on the ICU. And even if that's at the expense of overventilating patients. We all decided to perform a study, um, and what's impressive about it is that you engaged a lot of ICUs, uh, both from North America and the United Kingdom. Maybe you could tell us why you decided to perform the study, what were the study aims, and what were your methods? So we wanted to use electronic health records to assess how well we were performing given all these years had passed since the armor trial and uh, all the other evidence that was supporting their findings. So were intensive care units performing at expected standard in routine clinical practice outside of randomized control trials? And if they were not achieving this, then why was this the case? Our primary aim was to determine adherence to low tidal volume ventilation and factors associated with it. And we wanted to do this in two independent multi-center settings. And the reason why, because we wanted to find opportunities that would allow us to offer advice to clinicians to improve practice and patient care. Our secondary aims were to determine if low tidal volume ventilation was associated with patient outcomes such as 30-day mortality or duration of ventilation. And we wanted to know if there was ongoing adherence with low tidal volume ventilation during periods when patients were at most risk, such as uh, when their blood gases were at their worst, with the where their worst acute periods of hypoxic respiratory failure. And also we wanted to examine longitudinal trends in practice. In terms of our methods, we used two multi-center databases for our analysis. The first was a multi-centre database from the UK called the Critical Care Health Informatics Collaborative, or CCHIC. This was a database that collated information from the electronic health records of 11 ICUs in the UK, which were based in five of its academic health centres, and it included records on over 47,000 patients. The second database was the EICU Clinical Research Database, which is one year's worth of data from EICUs all around the USA. Those data have been curated and made available to researchers by the MIT Laboratory for Computational Physiology and Philips Healthcare. And this database resource is incredible. It's got information on over 200,000 patient records. So the key challenge here was developing pipelines that curated both databases in tandem in a similar way so that we can then sort of have, be able to derive similar insights from both sets of data. We included our code in the appendix to help other researchers do, to make, do similar analysis. We included all the adults who had basic demographic information and matching ventilator and arterial blood gas data. Uh, we excluded non-invasively ventilated patients where this was possible and patients who were ventilated for less than 48 hours, as we thought these were probably less reflective of routine clinical practice.
Our methods were, were pretty straightforward. We used simple methods like logistic regression to find factors associated with patients receiving low tidal volume ventilation. And then we drilled down and explored these in more depth to ensure that we weren't just observing spurious associations. We looked at specific subgroups and time periods. For example, patients with acute hypoxemic respiratory failure, who we defined as having a, a PF ratio less than 300 whilst receiving greater than five of PEEP. We couldn't look at ARDS specifically because of the anonymization processes in these databases. Well, we didn't have other notes or diagnosis per se, just admission diagnoses. We also looked at different time periods. For example, the initial six hour window after commencing ventilation, at 24 hours after, when we would have expected patients to have at least one senior review by attending clinicians who could have amended settings, and during periods where patients had their worst PF ratios, to make sure that patients were having their lungs protected when they're, they're most vulnerable. To further explore factors associated with outcomes, we used the mixed effects models and interaction analysis to really drill down onto why the patients were not receiving low tidal volume ventilation. Our methods were slightly different to other studies as they looked at two different cohorts simultaneously in two different countries. We were also able to include longitudinal trends in our multi-centre setting. Another key difference was that we identified the patients at most risk of not receiving low tidal volume ventilation, and we also suggested steps to help prevent this in the future. Let's jump into your key findings. I really appreciate that comprehensive uh, method outline, and I think that will definitely help our audience understand uh, your findings. So what were your findings, um, and how did you interpret them? Yeah, so about half of the patients in each database had a period of invasive mechanical ventilation. But after all the curation and alignment, we found that we had data on about 5,500 patients in the UK cohort and over 7,000 patients in the US cohort who had data that was suitable for analysis. Interestingly, the median duration of ventilation was similar in both cohorts, about six days. We found about only 34% of patients in the UK and 43.5% of patients in the US had a median tidal volume that was consistent with low tidal volume ventilation, which, which we defined as less than 8 mils per kilo predicted body weight, which is the standard in the literature. In our initial analysis, we found that male patients were more likely to receive low tidal volume ventilation than female patients. But we soon realised that this was due to their differences in height and the way that predicted body weight is calculated. This is because the ideal tidal volume for a given patient is based on predicted body weight, which is determined by their height and their sex. So we found that for every 10 centimetre increase in height, the odds of receiving low tidal volume ventilation increased by 8%. And this value is completely consistent in both databases. A 10 centimetre increase in height was associated with a greater than 0.2 mils per kilo predicted body weight reduction in median tidal volume per ventilation episode. We explored this further with an interaction analysis, which is shown in figure two of the paper. The interaction analysis demonstrates that the threshold height at which patients were less likely to receive low tidal volume ventilation. In the UK, this was a height of 160 centimetres, which is approximately five foot three inches. And in the US, a height of 165 centimetres, which is approximately five foot five inches. So at these heights, 41% of ventilated female patients in the UK, UK cohort were shorter than this threshold compared to 5% of males. And in the US, 65% of ventilated female patients were shorter than this threshold compared to 7% of males. So you can see why the sex discrepancy in receiving low tidal volume ventilation arises.
We then created a mixed effects model, which adjusted for other variables like admission diagnosis, treating hospital, illness severity, which we characterized using Apache scores. And we showed, again, if you can see that the greater height was consistently associated with receiving low tidal volume ventilation after sequential adjustment for these other factors. In our secondary outcomes, we found that during periods of acute hypoxic respiratory failure, there was a general failure to reduce tidal volume. So it's something that isn't being changed when patients are at their most unwell in terms of their respiratory function. Median low, low tidal volume ventilation less than eight mils per kilo was associated with a lower risk of death at 30 days in the UK cohort. A similar association was observed in the US cohort, but it didn't quite cross the threshold for significance. As we had access to longitudinal data from the UK cohort, we found that after December 2016, there was a consistent reduction in tidal volume for both male and female patients, about 0.26 mils per kilo predicted body weight reduction every three months. And that was really encouraging for us because it showed that changing practice is achievable, especially uh, as a greater reduction in tidal volume was observed in female patients compared to male patients. To help improve future practice, we also calculated the starting tidal volumes that should be used in the first instance if you don't have high data available. And this would reduce the risk of not providing low tidal volume ventilation to less than 10%. These were calculated as 494 mils for male patients and 370 mils for female patients. Although you should dose your tidal volume according to the patient's height, we're all frontline clinicians and appreciate there are a lot of competing demands when you put someone on a ventilator. There's a lot of physiological instability and there's a huge cognitive load for multiple tasks that need to be um, managed at the same time. So these are safe starting values that you can adjust later. So this is really important data um, and it's incredible that folks uh, would or clinicians would go ahead and schedule um, the same tidal volume for both men and women and expect them to have uh, the same lung volumes and have the same outcomes. Um, you mentioned that one way of getting around this is to say that for all women, you know, uh, put in a tidal volume of 370 and for all men, a tidal volume of 490. Why is this information or why is this not actually built into the electronic health record? Why are there no prompts that would uh, indicate to clinicians um, what the best uh, standard of care or best practice is? So uh, that depends on uh, every hospital is different. Uh, and often, I don't know where you work or if you work in critical care, but certainly I'm subject to a lot of prompt overload from my electronic health record, which is telling me if there could be sepsis if I need antibiotics, if I thought about the VTE prophylaxis and a whole bunch of other things that need to be completed. And so there's a lot of noise and distraction in electronic health records for, for clinicians. Uh, so adding another one doesn't necessarily help them. I think giving them an easy solution is a way to reduce their cognitive load. Also, giving them an unfamiliar figure, so it make, well, might make them question why why it's there and then make them titrate the, the number later, whereas if everyone's used to looking at 500 and know, knows it's kind of the standard setting, so um, that's cognitively easy to sort of accept and just carry on with. Uh, what we showed in the study was that once you start at a tidal volume, that tidal volume tends to persist throughout the patient's ventilation journey. 
And that's been shown in other studies as well. So there's clearly a sort of an anchoring type human factors phenomena here where if something works, don't, don't fix it unnecessarily. Or if something's unfamiliar, then that might prompt you to, to, to look why and titrate appropriately. Dr. Samantha, some may push back at this uh, publication and say this was a retrospective analysis um, and uh, you found an association uh, that wasn't causal. It is plausible that um, by looking at uh, low tidal volume ventilation that you're actually looking at a surrogate marker um, of better ICU care. It may be that clinicians or uh, pract practitioners um, who are up to date with the guidelines on how to uh, administer low um, tidal volume ventilation are actually implementing other ICU practices um, that are also improving survival. And that's the reason that you found a, um, a survival benefit or a benefit for patients. Um, what would you say to that? Yeah, I think that's been shown in the past as well, actually. So I think low tidal volume ventilation and other um, markers of high quality care in, in IC patients ha have been shown to improve outcomes and are associated with a whole package of measures, um, like bundles, if you like, of care. And so that's why, that, so that's an important, uh, thing that you can't really capture in these databases. We did in our, um, mixed effects model now. So we did adjust for, uh, treating hospital to try and account for this and the height still came through as the uh, most important factor here. Um, so, uh, so yes, that's correct. That it, we could just be measuring a surrogate, but um, this is a, this is a, um, a phenomenon that's been observed throughout the literature for over 20 years now. So, um, I think it's probably more than just an indicator of good quality care. I think it's genuinely safer for patients to receive lower tidal volume ventilations. And then in terms of, uh, you obviously measured tidal volume. Um, in your paper, you mentioned that there's other parameters that we use when uh, setting the ventilator, such as PEEP, which affects your driving pressure, which affects, um, and then it's also setting the respiratory rate, uh, setting the FiO2. Um, how would those factors um, affect your findings, and how would you want our audience to be aware of that? So, um, yeah, these are important limitations. Uh, we couldn't abstract ventilation modes from the, from these data as they were presented to us. So we couldn't fully exclude spontaneous ventilation modes, which we tried our best to do, uh, by looking at the data and seeing if it suggested a spontaneous mode was being used. And then other concepts around lung protective ventilation, which have been extended to more physiological modules like driving pressure that you mentioned and mechanical power. The required data to calculate these values wasn't consistently available in both databases. So we couldn't really explore these additional variables and how they're related to outcomes as, as we'd have liked. Um, so those are all important things, but we couldn't really explore them in this context, probably because of the way the data has been collected and collated. And then did you perform any other subgroup analysis in your patients um, uh, that you would want our uh, um, audience to be aware of? Because sometimes we find associations, but then in certain subgroups, um, that association either disappears or we find that a certain strategy is harmful. Uh, were any, any such findings in yours? Um, so in 
in the subgroup analysis of patients with acute hypoxic respiratory failure, we found that there was a failure to improve practice. Uh, and then we also looked at the subgroup of patients. We looked at their duration of ventilation and we found that um, there was no um, association between low, low, low tidal volume ventilation and shorter duration of ventilation. Um, we didn't look at specific disease subgroups because they weren't terribly well characterized in each of the databases. And the numbers were small for, say, sepsis. Um, in addition, we couldn't characterize patients who had acute respiratory distress syndrome because these weren't um, labeled as such in each database. So based on your findings, and this obviously is an analysis of large uh, databases, what's the next step? Um, how does the study um, advance our um, understanding of low tidal volume ventilation. Uh, what studies are needed going forward in order to address any of the questions that weren't uh, properly um, addressed during the publication? So our study showed that poor practices are still relatively common in both the UK and the USA. Um, and it identifies the patients who are most at risk of not receiving best practice. So it's um, showed that this is primarily shorter patients who are at higher risk, and these are patients who are shorter than 160 centimetres in the UK and 165 in the USA. So we could highlight those patients as being at particularly low risk in our electronic health records so that they are less likely to um, receive injurious ventilation breaths. Uh, we also showed that change is achievable, and uh, by offering these default starting values, that may help improve compliance with low tide and volume ventilation and um, allow teams to start with the best practice. Uh, our results are comparable to other sub-studies of, say, the LongSafe study, which was published in 29 by McNicholas and colleagues. Uh, although we didn't replicate all of their findings, we did find that um, there was no association between sex and um, an outcome, which is what they found. So in terms of how we move forward with this, I think it's... Uh, way how finding a good way to implement this so that it's more widely adopted and it's recognized by treating teams that it's a very easy to implement intervention and that does improve patient outcomes in terms of future studies i would probably want to see what the the other physiological uh, measurements that are associated with poor outcomes in ARDS and ventilation, how those also associate with um, patient outcomes, so mechanical power and um, ventilatory ratio. Then we can really tease apart which parts of the um, um, high tidal volume breaths might be associated with worse outcomes. Yeah, I think this is a really informative study, and uh, you know. There's so few um, evidence-based practices that we can implement in critical care, and yet we still seem to be failing at something that's relatively simple, and it seems to be due to our inability to measure height or to have a proxy so that we can adjust for height. Um, Dr. Semantic, um, maybe you could leave our audience with some final uh, words. Yeah, so um, I think the main take-home messages are over half of patients who are mechanically ventilated are still not receiving low tidal volume ventilation in the US and the UK. It affects patient mortality and shorter patients are at most at risk. So start with 
straightforward values of 490 and 370 if you don't have the time to or you don't have the height available and then work work your way from there yeah, I think that's a really uh, good and practical um, uh, solution to uh, this vexing problem. For our audience, uh, we are very fortunate to speak to Dr. Samantha. Um, he was the first author on a publication entitled Low Tidal Volume Ventilation is Poorly Implemented for Patients in North America and the United Kingdom um, in ICUs. Um, very fortunate to have you speak with us, uh, Dr. Samantha, and applaud you and your team for really great publication. And I think the discussion was uh, really impressive and got down to a really great solution for those folks uh, just based on um, sex, uh, male or female. You take care. Brilliant. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Pepper.